Hello, welcome to Out to Lunch, in which we do what the title says. We get a really interesting person, take them to a really interesting restaurant. We put microphones in place, we order a load of stuff, and then we talk, and we talk, and we talk. And over the dining table, you tend to learn things you might not otherwise learn. That's why it's such a brilliant format. Today, I'm dining with River Song, Mole Flanders, and Dr. Elizabeth Corday. Yes, it is the absolutely brilliant actress, Alex Kingston. And I got them and clamped them onto this guy's nipples. And he was like, ah! Was he meant to be unconscious? He was meant, yes, he was meant to be unconscious. <laughs> So the actress Alex Kingston lived in Los Angeles for a very long time and when we sent her dietary requirements, she came back saying seafood. And then I said, sushi? Question mark. The message we got back was that she loves sushi. So we have come to a place called Chisu, C-H-I-S-O-U. There's about three of them in London, maybe four. And I think they are stunningly reliable, brilliant Japanese restaurants. And we've set up a menu. I've had to order this one in advance. It's all going to be good stuff. Come on in and have a listen. Alex. Hello. Sushi for breakfast. Sushi for breakfast. I know. Have you ever had sushi for breakfast? Yes, I have. Have you? Okay, well, that's... Oh, is there a coffee going? Is that all right? Of course. Before, before yeah. sushi, is Of course. Okay? This is Evans, who will be serving us. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. Then you yeah, sparkling or Yeah, I, I like sparkling, to be honest. So do I. So your dad was a butcher? Yes, yes. And did he teach you anything in the trade? I made sausages, so I, when I was young and summer holidays, I would go because they had a small factory, so I'd actually sort of put the sausage meat into the sausages. You've seen how the sausages are made, yes. as the old joke goes. Yes, yes, and I had to sort of, you know, make them into those bundles. And, um, yeah, he taught me how to truss a chicken. I had to do that for a play when I was at drama school. I can't remember what the play was, but it required a scene where we had to... We were in some factory and we had to truss chickens, so that's what I did. Did you get a fresh chicken every night for the show? Yeah, we did about, I think, about five per show. Five chickens? (laughs) Fondled by the drama students of RADA, which are then... Yeah, well, just me. It wasn't any of the other students. I don't know quite how I... Ended up being the one, but I was the one. Did you? It's pretty easy, actually. You just get your hand in and rip it all out. Yeah, rip so. out the viscera yeah. and stroke the, the elastic or whatever you're going to do around the legs so they cross over yes. and all of that. But I think people might kind of like the image of you trussing chickens. <laughs> I'm very good, actually, with, um, you know, I'm not squeamish about meat or anything like that, I guess, because I was brought up sort of with a lot of meat, so to speak. Your dad's a butcher. Your mum, German? My mum's German, yes. Lived at home, raised us. Comes from, basically, her mother ran a farm in Germany. Mm. So, again, my mum, even though she's vegetarian, actually, but, I mean, there was sort of blood sausage being made and all that sort of stuff. Hang on, vegetarian Germans. It's something yeah. you don't necessarily... <laughs> I know a bit about German food. <laughs> yeah. Did she become a vegetarian when she was here or was she... Which bit of part of she, Germany is she from? She's from just outside Frankfurt. Right. Um, basically, she was a meat eater when she met my dad, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> So she meets, meets the butcher yeah, and, and decides, decides mm, maybe not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, becomes a vegetarian, yeah. So your coffee has arrived. Now, um, to explain what's, what's happening, because you, you've got a wig fitting. I've got a wig fitting, yeah, and then I've got then a show, so it's all striking. So we've moved everything in. early, which means yeah. I've put an order in. Perfect. Already. Perfect. So I'll tell you what we're going to have. Oh, I'm so excited. So we're starting with yellowtail um, sashimi with jalapeno. 
Oh my god, fantastic. And spicy salmon tartare. Lovely. Okay. And then we move on to the hot. So we've got grilled sea bass. Ooh. Rock shrimp tempura. Okay, fabulous. And then finish in the classic style with nigiri sushi, the lozenges sushi. Nine pieces of that. And I've told them to do themselves, although I've asked for a nagi eel because I like that. Oh, me too. That's the one that's slightly sweet. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. So is that cool? That is so cool. I'm so excited because I said to you, the area of Los Angeles that that we lived in has the greatest concentration of sushi restaurants outside Japan. Well, I want to talk to you about that. Before Evans goes, uh, do you want green tea as well to go with this? Or do you want sake or... No, no, I can't have sake. I've got got a chef. How do you say that? I don't mind green tea or jasmine tea. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have jasmine tea, actually? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Could I have that? Because actually I'm not so great on green tea. It makes me a bit squeamish. I'll have... Green tea. Yeah, thank Brilliant. you. How long did you live in Los Angeles for? 20 years. That's a long time. Yeah, 20 and wh- years. And which bit of Los Angeles did you live in? I was just outside Studio City, so that is absolutely the greatest concentration of yeah. sushi restaurants outside Japan. And anybody who doesn't know Los Angeles, it's one of those things that I discovered when I had to work out there, that places which are there, just that local neighbourhood joint, yeah. I would here be regarded as a, a minor miracle, wouldn't yes. they? Yes, exactly. There's literally, they're all ro- lined up one after the other. And my favourite, I mean, it was, the, this was the sort of, the mythical one was, was Sushi Nozawa. And you know, I know that's, a, that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. And he uh, originally, it literally was, I mean, probably about the size of this room, the, the restaurant. And he was v- rather... Um, ancient and incredibly grumpy. He was intimidating, but there would be a line every from every lunchtime on, onwards outside the door, people waiting to get in. And if anybody came in, and I've actually, I, I saw this happen, if anybody sort of came in and asked for a tiger roll or something <laughs> like that, they would be thrown out. And you went Tiger in, rolls being a very Californian being thing. Being a very, yes, tap California thing, you know. I don't even know what's in a tiger roll, but there's mayonnaise and God knows yeah, what. Yeah. So, um, and I'm his, open. basically, you'd go in and you'd sit there and, and he'd say, what do you want? And he had a very traditional menu. But the thing that you, if you're in the know, you had to just sit there okay. and say... Omakazi or...? No, you just say, trust me. Oh, really? Yeah. I want the trust me. And then he would then just start bringing, and then you just say stop when you were full. It was fantastic. And apparently, and I don't know whether this is true or not, at the um, the fish market, no, none of the other sushi chefs would buy until he had made his, his pick. yeah taken his pick, out of sort of respect. And did you eat with chopsticks or with your hands? I always just ate with chopsticks. I have to say. Because I was shown, when I, in Tokyo, I was shown how to do it with your hands. And to that, be perfectly that... honest, that makes more sense. Because it's very hard. Should we try it when we get to yeah, that stage? it's very hard holding a piece of sushi with chopsticks because yeah. the rice. But for me, actually, aside from the quality of the fish, it's the rice. And oh. his, oh my God, I mean, the rice was just, I mean, incredible. And so that's when I sort of always... That's my gauge, is the rice. Green tea is landing, and but not for you, because it you don't, you. doesn't agree no, with you. It doesn't agree with me. Growing up in the home counties, mm. what was it that got you the acting bug? I wasn't sort of consciously thinking I want to be an actor. We were really into going to jumble sales. And at that time, when I was literally like 12, 13, there was just 
all these incredible clothes from the 1920s and 1930s. Nobody had gotten gotten onto the jumble sale trail yet. And so I accumulated these amazing hats and shoes. And it's absolutely right. I used to go and get old 20s bags. Everything. Glasses, tailcoats, tail satin, negligee, whatever. I've, still, I've got still loads of them. So obviously what you're basically saying is you love dress up. Yes. You love disappearing. In, you love disappearing into another world. Yes. When did you actually end up in a production? <laughs> and what was it? I joined a, a sort of a, a funny little drama club, and the woman happened to be. She was an agent. She put people up for commercials and things like that. She then put me up for Grange Hill. Were you in Grange Hill? Yeah. And I must admit, I didn't know that. I, I feel like I should be going back through my notes going, <laughs> oh my why did I miss that? How long oh, were you in Grey Hill for? see the hair in that. <laughs> Had two enormous bunches. I was, only in, I was only in three episodes. I was a judo bully. Were you? Yes, I was. Scoundrel. <clears throat> yes. Um, and for anybody I, who, you know, of a certain generation who doesn't know just how important Grey yeah, Hill was. Yeah, massive. Absolutely massive. And, you know, Phil Redmond, given his due, he, he created something very important there. Because... He, he really did, and it was something that was actually really needed because it sort of, all of a sudden, tapped into, at the time, what we thought was, like, modern youth. These people understand us. They understand what school is like. It's not, it's not sort of St Trinian's. It's, uh, this is Except real. Except you this go to real. St Trinian's. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did that as well. <laughs> Um, this is real. And, of course, I had a huge crush on Tucker Jenkins sitting watching the telly. So to be on it was... It was funny because the audition, you had to have been able to do judo. And so I I said to the agent lady who ran this drama club, you know, I don't do judo. And she said, oh, just, just lie. The evening that we had the drama class, she said, I'll bring somebody in just to show you all some moves. She had all of us audition. This guy came in and there was a mat down and he showed us a couple of moves. And so I felt like, okay, well, I've learned two moves. So if they ask me in the audition, can I do judo? I'll say yes. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be a lie, obviously. It wouldn't be a lie. <laughs> they did. They asked me and they said, can you do judo? And I said, yes. And so they said, what belt are you? I didn't have a clue. I knew that I shouldn't say black belt. <laughs> And so I just picked a colour and said... Which colour did you choose? I said green. <laughs> um, <laughs> like green, it's like, I think it's like, the, that's the third. I think it goes yellow, orange, green, blue, black. I don't it's know. actually not a bad choice for a lie. For a lie, it's not bad. But then I got the job. So then I, then I actually had to go and start taking proper judo lessons to try and at least get myself to green status by the time that we started filming. And actually, I didn't get to green, but I got to orange. Did you? Yeah. You yeah. actually did So get I went to... from, from white to yellow to orange. Yeah. So we have a button on our table. Are you used to these from Japanese restaurants no. in LA? No. You get, them in, you get them in Japan as well. So would you like to press the service button? There. And apparently it will buzz Evan's wrist. There oh, go. my gosh. Look at that. Wow. Oh, are you ready to start? Oh, yeah. Ready no, definitely. I hope, I hope you were waiting for us. Thank you. There we go. Oh, gosh. So let's start with a small appetizer. Thank this you. This is uh, called Goma Shimiji Mitashi, which is boiled spinach and the Shimiji uh, mushroom. Uh-huh. And you have a sesame dressing on the side. Oh, my gosh. 
Looks beautiful. So we have Amachi Suzukuri, which is a yellow tail Suzukuri, which is really, really thin slice of yellow tail, and it wow. comes with a ponto sauce, which is an acidic dressing. Mm. And here you have the spicy oh. salmon tartar. I'm coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's no politeness here. We just no, wait. We just go in. You were cast into the RSC pretty soon after RADA, weren't you? How long was it? Yes, I think it was. It was sort of like 1987, yeah, something like that, 87, 88. I was Hero in Much Ado About Nothing and Cordelia in King Lear. Who was your Lear? <laughs> John Wood. What was the old joke about Gilgood being asked for advice on uh, playing King Lear and replying, get a light Cordelia? <laughs> Do you know that story? No, I don't. But because, because there was a moment in King Lear where you yeah, have to be carried. I know. From... Well, I'm laughing because poor John, poor John Wood, had a bad back. Well, how old was? It's it generally a role played by. It's you know, it's one of the great older actor roles. Mm. Ian McKellen think... just did it, aged eighty-one, I think. How uh, old was John Wood at the time? I'd say he was in his early seventies. He looked. He looked in his late 70s. Um, maybe he was in his late 60s. I don't know. Uh, which, and you know, he's very tall. He's sort of a bit like um, Don Quixote, very tall with beard. And I was lighter than I am now, but I'm tall and I've got, you know, I'm heavy boned. I'm a strong girl. Um, Teutonic stock. Mm hmm. Exactly. This is amazing. Butch, it is, isn't it? Oh my God. Little, some um, compressed bits of. Uh, leaves of spinach, lovely mushrooms, and a really bright kind of is dressing. It pe- pe- is it peanutty or there's something in I the think, or sesame I, or something? I think sesame or oh, so good. He he would have to wear a belt, like a um, a weightlifter's belt, which was all hidden when he's carrying me on. I didn't know this. He was taking painkillers, muscle relaxants, I think. And um, one performance, he overdosed he took too many so he thought he was having a heart attack during the show and um in the interval he he couldn't go on in the second half and of course the play cut where he's in the in the storm in the pouring rain you know in the and then the next time you see him is when he's um carrying dead cordelia on so uh, john wood uh, is incapable of coming on Is, is there an understudy for yes Half the size of John Wood. <laughs> so the last time the audience saw him, he was in the in the rain, you know, ranting at the, the heavens and everything. I was already sort of off stage dead. And so I was expecting then John to come and get me, to carry me on. And it was his understudy, Paul. And literally, it was like he'd shrunk in the rain. And... <laughs> And he, he's hung, he said, he's, John's off, John's off. And I was like, oh, OK, then. And he had, I mean, and I was massive. I was taller than the, than his understudy. So he sort of, <laughs> literally, he was like carrying this plank onto the stage. Was there a protocol? Did he stand on a chair for being picked up or uh, did he just, no, he just lie back? And... Yes, he just, he, he was quite strong, actually, Paul, even though he was smaller, diminutive. Those are um, fresh jalapenos and they're a, a right old um, oh, I love, kick in the teeth. I so. love that. See, I can't pick this up with my chopsticks because it's so sloppy. It is quite sloppy, but in a good way. But would would this be something that you would normally pick up with your fingers? No, no, because there's no, no, there's no way that's going to no. happen. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, the funny thing is, I always sort of imagined when I left drama school that because of the way I look, I don't think I have a contemporary look. I think 
if I'm going to sort of describe my face or anything, I think I look quite European. I don't look particularly English, but it, I also feel like I've got a a look from a from the past. Um, well, top up hot water coming. Lovely. Loving the service. And um, so I always imagined that I would be in more historical things and less contemporary. So more Flanders felt like a perfect fit. Yes, but that's the only that's the only historical thing I've ever done. You've not been offered Boudicca. Oh well, I, oh no, I did play Boudicca, but that's super, <laughs> Do you know that was that just is like... super ancient. <laughs> when did you play Boudicca? Like two thousand and two, something like that. Did he have a chariot and everything? Yeah, I did. did yeah, that must have been fun. Actually, that was horrendous to do. The production was really hampered. Um, I wish that there had been a documentary team following us making it because, I mean, we were filming in Romania. We we were really beset with trouble. We we were filming in late, I think it was sept- late September, but promised that they always have in Romania a sort of, you know, a kind of Indian summer. And so we started filming in this sort of massive floodplain the first week, hot, hot, hot. And the second week, we had a massive snowstorm. Um, and, and, you know, we're all in in little sort of fur bikinis and loincloths and things. I mean, it's sort of... And in just, a, I mean, really heavy snow. But, of course, when the snow melted, we were in a floodplain. So all of the trailers, the generators, everything just had been completely flooded. How many weeks was this shoot? I oh, mean... my gosh, it was long. It was, it was long. There were sort of extraordinary things like there was no water... So nobody was washing their hands with water. People making food weren't. So Did people go down with bugs? Yes, massively. I was given every day, because I had asked, I just assumed, you know, at the beginning of the filming, I'd asked in my contract if I could have a a kettle to make a cup of tea in my trailer. Bloody prima donna. You know, I feel it's not too much to ask. But, so... I arrived the first day and I had a a litre bottle of Coca-Cola and a litre bottle of fizzy water. So I had to make a decision how I was going to make my tea. So I decided that I would boil the fizzy water and I used the Coca-Cola to flush my toilet. Because there was no... There was was no... Literally no water. Take that bit. Um, and I can tell you this, Coca-Cola really cleans your toilet bowl. Does it? Yes. It's now, you amazing. have to understand, that's why I do this podcast. It's for tips like that. <laughs> yeah. But the really horrendous thing was that the Teamsters, who were looking after all of the trailers, I mean, literally, if you just literally flushed the toilet with your Coca-Cola, or there was, it wasn't being caught, it was just... Going down onto the ground, the hole in the bottom, and straight into the, the hole in the bottom. So after the snow melted and and we had all of this flooding, I remember walking in the dark because we always had really early um, setups in this sort of slushy, muddy kind of just morass, and literally bits of pink toilet paper sort of going around my ankles. And that's when we realised that they had never cleaned away any anybody's. Um, Effluence. Effluence. It was all just floating around. And that was the sort of, you know, they think actors have it good. 
I've watched the uh, the making of Apocalypse Now, but this yeah, well that's what we, oh, we had horses dying. I mean, it was really awful. One one of the ads got run over by a chariot. I mean, it was it was, it was really horrendous. Did you phone your agent? <laughs> no, but there was one day, there was one day, and I'm a very good, I'm a really good team player as an actor. Even, I, you know, I know I am. I'm a good team player. I, I'm I a good, am, I'm a good, a good team player. I'm I a good am. company member. But there was, honestly, there was one day where we had been through so much and I was in the middle of this floodplain. It had all, you know, dried up by then. On my chariot... You know, I was all by myself and the, there was an army sort of like half a mile away and they were going to film it coming towards me. And I'm standing on this chariot. I'm just exhausted and I've had enough. And all of a sudden, the horses started to just rear. And so my chariot was flipping and I was holding on for dear life. And I just thought, F, F this, I'm going, I'm out of here. And so, I, and I've never done this in my life. Did you walk off set? I offset I, I got off the chariot because I thought I was going to die and I just started walking I was so angry I just started walking sort of walking 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 in in the middle of nowhere and the funny thing was all the crew immediately started packing their stuff up they were longing for me to walk so that, <laughs> so that they could walk too and I walked past the sound people they were like yeah keep on going keep on going <laughs> so I carried, and I came to a river and I couldn't cross the river did you so, then have to turn around and go back? Yeah, I had to. T- so I stood there, sort of like having to take deep, heavy breaths, and then I was just like, oh, "Okay, I've got to go back. <laughs> I've got to go back and climb back on that chariot." <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Ah, oh, we have more food coming. I think we're on to the hot. Ooh. I can see deep fried things in batter. That always makes me happy. Mm. So this is Suzuki Shiyoyaki, which is um, a, a grilled sea bass. <gasps> on the top, um, I mean, on the side actually of the sea bass, you have like a grated radish. Yeah. And some lemon. That's muli. Is that muli? Absolutely. Yeah. Using mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Underneath you have some salad with a user dressing. Mm-hmm. And this is konomono, which is like a mixed pickle. How? Because it's going to be super crunchy, isn't it? This one. How do you make it super crunchy like that? Is it just from literally the pickling? Yes. Oh. So ER. Mm. ER was on series three or four. Yeah, yeah, it was yes. <laughs> it had already... I, I remember watching the very first episode of ER and thinking it was the most staggeringly assured debut of any series I'd ever seen. I remember it 
the George Clooney character lying on a gurney. They push into the room and they, they shove liquids into him, fluids into him because he's hung over. And that's the opening. And it went, and it was by series three or four, it was one of the biggest shows. The biggest on- show on, on the planet. The funny thing is, I hadn't watched any VR. <laughs> I was doing Mole Flanders and, and you were busy. I was at the RSC, and you know, I didn't. I'd heard, you know, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't watched it. I had to fly over to the states to promote Mole. It was being aired over there as a mini series. I was all packed, about to get in the car to go to the airport, when I got a call to say that the producers of ER wanted to meet me. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to the airport. And they said, well, can you just stop by on the way to the airport? And so that's what I did. It was created by Michael Crichton. Yes. And Spielberg was a producer for a yes. while. Yes, Who Who was it who saw you? John Wells um, right. was the showrunner. He saw me and there were two of the writer-producers, Lydia and Carol, they were there. So it was the three of them. I I sat there, I chatted with them for sort of 20 minutes, and then I got back in the car and carried on to the um, airport. And I got on the plane, and when I landed, my agent um, had left me um, a message and basically said, call me. So I called her and she said, they, they want you to join the show. They had made a decision that they wanted to have um, a foreign... Doctor, sort of coming uh, coming into the show as if they were coming on a sabbatical. I'm breaking up the, the yeah, sea Yeah, break it up, both. that's good. Oh my gosh, there's a blowtorch. Oh, there's a blowtorch and something Oops. else. So that's a complimentary... Oh, a thing we didn't order. That looks like mackerel. Evans, you're about to spark up the blowtorch. I am. Do you have one of these in the kitchen? No, but I always feel I need to have one, don't I, for... For my creme brulee. Well, is that a major part of your life, Alex? <laughs> is creme brulee a regular... <laughs> I made quite a good creme brulee, oh, this is brilliant. The flame is going... The See, sound the, of... This should happen in everybody's life. See, can I tell you, I actually secretly want to be on Celebrity MasterChef. <laughs> well, it's not going to be much of a secret anymore, is it? <laughs> I know, I'd love to. Thank you very much for that, Evan. That's brilliant. Is it true that you once accidentally clamped an extra's nipple? Yes. <laughs> that is true. Their prosthetics were so incredible. So when you were doing an operation where you had to crack the chest or anything like that, or having to sort of cut into somebody, you'd film with the the actor lying there, but at some point they would put a prosthetic on if it was necessary. And honestly, the prosthetics, I mean, it was every single hair, mole, I mean, it was absolutely exactly the same as a person's torso. And we'd been working with this actor um, and he'd had the prosthetic on and then they had taken the prosthetic off and I didn't know that they had taken it off. And so I had these kind of like, they were, they're like crocodile clips, really. And I literally got them and clamped them onto this guy's nipples. And he was like... Was he meant to be unconscious? He was meant, yes, he was meant to be unconscious, yes. But and it, I'm sure it's on the blooper reel, actually, because I then, you know, they're filming, and so I sort of had to 
go like, I was like, oh, like that, and I had to sort of stop and try and stop myself laughing. But then I could see everyone, <laughs> Laura Innes, everybody's shoulders were going like this. And I, I sort of suddenly was very intently working, sort of looking down like this so that no one would see, and had to sort of turn away and try and carry on. And it all just dissolved. I mean, uh, I felt terrible, the poor guy. We had fun. That's the thing that back then... And I don't know whether it was the same here. I think probably not. I couldn't believe the time that was... Well, it wasn't wasted because it it was part of who we were as a company. But the time that was spent in setting up jokes on people on, for on camera, most of it, George, but um, or, or just the... the what kind was, of things? Oh, my God. He would put... Um, it's like KY, yeah. um, that goopy stuff you know he'd put he'd sort of squeeze that into your shoes or or he'd he'd wipe it on on the telephone so that in the scene when you when the phone rings and and you you sort of have this goop all over the phone I mean it was it was end endless it was sort of great because it 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 made filming fun um here that just doesn't happen. I mean, God forbid that you even mess up a line on Doctor Who. I mean, there's just like no time for any extracurricular activity. I think you have to go for the last bit of flamed mackerel. Yes, yes. River Song, Doctor Who. Yes. You were still living in the States. Yes, I was, yeah. Did you know how big Doctor Who had become while you were... No! ...rebooted by Russell T. Davis? No. I mean, it's a little bit like... Did I know how big ER was? No. Did I know how big big these things are? I know, because I sort of... I don't really... When I'm not acting, I'm I'm being a mum, I'm just all just... I'm just being, you know, working in the garden. I, I sort of don't make it my business to sort of really stay necessarily on top of everything, <laughs> which is mm, not probably not such a good thing. But I, I, I'd heard that Doctor Who was good, but I didn't really understand what they meant because I hadn't seen it. It wasn't airing in America then. So I was hearing it, but at the same time, my memory of Doctor Who was from the 70s or, you know, 80s. So And what you joined was a totally different thing. And totally. Your, and your character was fantastic. Mm. How, did you know you were going to be recurring across... No. I mean, what, you were 15, 20... I mean, you're, no. There's no particular reason why you're... She, uh, she hasn't necessarily No, gone. she hasn't yeah. gone away. No. I'm going to press a button, by the yeah, way. Yeah, press a button. Or would you, I think you should press the button. OK. I like you pressing the button. There we go. I was sent a script, actually, prior to the storyline that I did, and it was to play another character... It was interesting. It was a. It was a. De- it was a very definitely a one episode storyline. That was it, and I couldn't do it because um, it conflicted with something that I had committed to in the states. So I said no. I think it was a good call. Hello. <laughs> um, so they then came back again. It was a two episode storyline, and I read the scripts, and I burst into tears, and so I just thought, if this story is having this effect on me, then I've got... The first River Song story. Yeah, yeah, with David Tennant. Was that the one where you're saying, you don't know what's going to happen, but, darling, it's all beautiful? It's it's the time slip where he's not absolutely aware who you are. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, it just... I, I just found it intensely sad that here was this woman who has been introduced into his 
life and actually they have history but he doesn't know and she can't tell him and then she sacrifices herself for him we have just had the sushi placed in front of us i think you're going to have to do the guided tour all right so you have like a two um omakase nigiris nine pieces so oh my God. this is ikora which is mm-hmm. salmon roll on top of this you have like some um uh, cut oba which is like a shiso leaf this is uh, unagi, so eel, with some unagi sauce. And on top of this, you have like a, a taku one, which is the pickles that you had before. Mm-hmm. This is sweet prawn, truffle mayonnaise. This is a scallops. On top of the scallops, you have uh, white miso and some flying fish roe. Ah. Mackerel, salmon mm-hmm. Japanese, uh, topped with uh, plum paste and some spring onion. Under you have like a salmon with some black miso. This one here is uh, sea bass with uh, sesame miso. This one is horse macro oh with yuzu miso. <laughs> and the last one, the best one, <laughs> yellowtail and um, minced truffle. All right. How's your day going? It's going really well. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> Thank you. When did you come back from LA? Two years ago. Have you been out for much sushi since then? None. None? No. Is this the first sushi no, since... Uh, no, because I don't... I, I, like I said, I, I feel I was so spoilt in L.A. I would love to find a place in London that actually has really good sushi. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Yes, we will. It's all about the rice. It is all about the rice. <laughs> Have you done Comic-Con and all of that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, many times. Really? Yes, yes. That's how you met... Jodie Whittaker, isn't it? You hadn't actually met her before until yeah. the lift opened. At- yes, the lift door opened at Comic-Con. And she was there. And just had a big hug. <laughs> because you were part of the same universe. Yeah, exactly. The Hooniverse. What did you make of... I mean, this is a, a multi-dimensional extraterrestrial from a, another planet who can travel in time and space... And people seem to get upset about the fact that they could actually be a woman as well. Yeah. It's like rather binary. Yeah. It seems to miss the point of what the whole of Doctor Who is. Yes, I think I think the thing is, I mean, I understood because when I was I was asked, you know, a long time ago, because you see at conventions, you see girls and women all dress up as either they're one of the assistants or very often they're the doctor. And I would be asked you know what I thought about it and initially to be to be really honest I didn't think that it would work because I just thought you know it's sort of almost part of how we've grown or developed as a society you see girls and women dressing up as a doctor because in a sense they're more open and accommodating and can sort of understand or just can be open to being the doctor even though the doctor is a male spirit but I didn't think it would work the other way I didn't think that little boys or men would necessarily jump on the bandwagon in the same way that girls and women have you watched since you came back I haven't watched but you know the the so that's why I just thought I don't know whether whether it's going to whether it will work because it may just implode in some way, but the excitement and the hurrah when um, Jodie was cast and all those I mean not all because some some of the girls and women still their their doctor is 
number 10 or whatever, and that's who they identify with and that's who they'll carry on being. But there's a, for this whole new generation of um, women and girls who can actually dress in Jodie's outfit and be... It's fantastic. They're not making a, a gender compromise or... No. Apparently and, in some and, way, now no, they're just and, being... And, the, and actually, and this is where I was wrong, because the guys are completely fine with it. Because ultimately, the Doctor is a spirit... So why why can't the doctor be anything? As a journalist, I'm required to ask you leading questions about whether you know whether you're coming back, but I don't suspect you're going to answer me or whether you could even. I'll just say spoilers. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the doctor has to meet, or I have to meet my second wife. Oh. My first wife was Cleopatra. Of course. Because I told... Peter Capaldi in the Christmas episode that he reminded me of my second wife. But we haven't, we don't know who the second wife is yet. No. No. Although there's now a pretty damn good candidate knocking around. Potentially. Oh, look what we're doing here. I know. It's like, (laughs) it's like we're dicing with death. Um, (laughs) You've done some really big things recently, which is for Sky. Yes. uh, The Widow. Yeah, for ITV. Shooting in South Africa. Mm-hmm. What are you about to have a wig fitted for? Discovery of Witches. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because basically, I've spent a year sort of my hair sort of being tonged and pulled around and processed and um, I just need to give my hair a break. And also, the last time we did a Discovery of Witches... In, in Cardiff, you know what the weather can be like. A bit um, damp. A bit damp, exactly. And so my hair just sort of goes into this massive fro. Um, and so trying to sort of tame it in those conditions, I suggested that it might be easier if actually um, we just had a ready-made dressed wig to plonk on my head. I can't eat any of these. I'm, I'm sort of... Are you done? I'm starting to get done. Yeah, don't worry. We've, we've got nice finish. people behind you. Oh, yes. Good, good. Nothing will go to waste oh. in this room. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Amazing. Look, Alex, thank you very much. What I'm really pleased about is it's been two years since you came back from L.A. and had, and this is your first sushi since then. Yeah, yeah. But thank you very much for letting thank me take you. you out to lunch. Thank you. I'm so, I'm so happy. It's perfect. And this is my meal for the day. This is, this is all I get to eat. So. It would be anybody's meal for the day, frankly. <laughs> I love the fact I have just scratched Alex Kingston's sushi itch. Sushi itch. Sounds terribly wrong, doesn't it? But that's what I've done. Um, If you enjoyed that, please rate and review us because it does help others find us and I like to know what you think of us. Um, Also, do subscribe because that way every episode will appear wherever you get your podcast the moment it is dropped. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production and was brought to you by these fabulous people. Josh Gibbs, Hester Kant, Selena Reem, Robert Abel, Darby Doris and Steve Ackerman. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. Next time, I have lunch with the boss of the CIA, or at least I do if you've been watching Homeland. It's David Harewood. <laughs>